0: Thank you for joining us for another session of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners. Today, we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Cheryl Petersilge. Dr. Petersilge is a former Director of Enterprise Imaging at Cleveland Clinic and currently a practicing radiologist at UPMC. Dr. Petersilge has been a significant contributor to the design of Enterprise Imaging from the early days and continues to be active in developing areas like POCUS, and photo documentation management within the context of enterprise imaging. Welcome, Dr. Peter Silge.
1: Thank you, very happy to be here. Would you mind
0: uh, giving us just a quick uh, summary of your background and your involvement in enterprise imaging?
1: Certainly, so I had the opportunity to help develop one of the first comprehensive enterprise imaging programs when I was at the Cleveland Clinic working with some of the other leaders in the enterprise imaging community. At that time, we were setting the foundation for a lot of the concepts that we understand are so critical to success for enterprise imaging today. We had a great governance, we had very engaged clinicians to work with, and we had a supportive enterprise and we were able to start to build a lot of the workflows, and concepts that are so important to enterprise imaging today. As I mentioned, governance, standardization of naming conventions, comprehensive workflows that could be replicated across the organization. You know, there we had many, many different specialties practicing in many, many different environments. Um, I'll never forget one of our OBGYNs who said, you know, I, before this, I couldn't even see an ultrasound that I myself did on my patient when I happened to do it at another office. So it's been exciting since the beginning to really see the development of these ecosystems, as I call them, grow throughout the United States.
2: Dr. Peterson, I hope you don't mind if I call you Cheryl.
1: That would be so, awesome. Since we've been yes. friends
2: for so long. I'm yes. Trying <laughs> I'm trying to think back to how long we've known each other. I remember you and I met had lunch, and it was either at a Sim or a Hymns event. It must have been at least 10 years ago, if not longer. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, I remember. I remember it was in Vegas.
2: And okay. I remember it,
1: it was at a Mexican restaurant, yes. but I don't yes. remember which meeting.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It was long enough ago that we were we were children. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm always fascinated by people's career paths, especially when people have kind of a unique blend to their, uh, to their portfolio, their career portfolio. And you know, you practiced and you were a director at Cleveland Clinic, a luminary, you know, healthcare enterprise and in and globally. And now you're reading at UPMC, but somewhere along the way, you thought, well, I don't want to just read. As a radiologist i want to contribute i guess that is your mindset but i'd love to understand a little bit of what what was it that took you on a path away from just being a practicing radiologist that you wanted to consult and contribute back into the medical imaging community
1: so i'll go way back i'm actually an engineer by training one of the reasons i chose to go into radiology was because it was a very technology focused uh subspecialty in medicine and it covered pretty much every specialty, every type of patient care you could think of. So that's been my foundation from the beginning. So within radiology, I grew as an academician in orthopedic radiology and had a lot of success there. Then I or simultaneously had a lot of opportunities to grow my administrative skills. And I think I'm one of those people that are constantly seeking new opportunities and new challenges. Um, I always say once the boat's planed, I'm no longer as motivated. So I really love that strategy component to things and had a lot of opportunity with that in my you know, administrative career, there were a lot of great things that we did during that phase and really bringing the regional practice and the Imaging Institute at the Cleveland Clinic together. So as I worked through those opportunities, you know, there was this opportunity to work with the enterprise imaging team and, and that was amazing. And informatics was so exciting to me, um, so much to learn. Um, really kind of challenging. I remember about two years into the clinical informatics phase that I almost wanted to give up because I felt like there was just no way I could learn all of this. And then, you know, as I was through my, or, you know, getting engaged in the clinical informatics, this new opportunity opened up as we were going into purchasing a VNA and starting this enterprise imaging program, and it was such a great fit with the informatics knowledge I had, but also with um, building new things and setting strategies and imaging informatics was something that uh, was something I could really learn about. And so that's what all drove me into the imaging informatics. And then, you know, the clinic program grew, it became mature. And so I was looking for new opportunities. And since I knew strategy development was really something I enjoyed, I knew consulting was a way that I could um, continue to offer that on a regular basis because every client brings new challenges and new needs for strategy development
0: yeah, and Dr. peter Silge, uh, i really I really love seeing when we see the clinicians uh, with bring that engineering background, whether it, you know whichever one came first. It's such a rare thing to see where we have the clinicians who have a strong technical understanding of everything that goes into the background of delivering that clinical care. But from my experience, when those two things come together, that's really what drives change and innovation meaningfully forward in an organization. And I'm just wondering, you know seeing your involvement um, in him sim and with your background both as a practicing physician as well as understanding all of the the complexities or um, as our colleagues would say, our propeller hats, if you will. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the influence that that can have on an organization like the HIMSTEM Working Group and how that can expand some of the digital transformation or the necessary transformation, both in technologies, but also in the adoption of those technologies in those clinical workflows? Because it's often a, a bit of a heavy lift, as you understand, for the, for the clinicians to do that. So... Yeah. Does your background help you out with that in any way, given the that you straddle both sides of that fence?
1: I certainly think it does. I think it's really important. I always say I speak clinician and I speak technology. And so I get to act as a liaison between those two different worlds. Um, A lot of the people who are on the technology side are are brilliant at developing technology and seeing opportunities. And they really want to interact with somebody who understands which of these opportunities is realistic and which of these um, opportunities or potential solutions mesh with the way clinicians think and mesh with what patients' needs are. And then on the other side, clinicians they know what their needs are and they know what their wants are and and sometimes they get frustrated by the constraints of technology i call it the magic fairy dust that you know they believe technology should be able to solve every problem which eventually it can solve a lot of them but they haven't experienced the process of technology development or the process of you know integrating technology into workflows. And so on that side, um, I bring the understanding of talking about what's going on with the technology development. And because I am a clinician, come with some credibility when I'm saying that's not how it works and that's not what's possible, but we could take this request back. The other thing I think that um, the technology background brings is a very methodical way of thinking through a problem. And it's it's sometimes a little amazing how people don't follow a process. And I hate to say it, I still remember my engineering professors, you know, you wrote out the problem, you wrote out your assumptions, you wrote out how you were going to approach it and then you started solving the problem. And I think bringing that perspective is also very useful as we work through some of these challenges with integrating, developing and integrating technology in healthcare.
2: So when we talk about enterprise imaging and, and this is a world that clearly all three of us uh, spend a lot of our times in, mm-hmm. a lot of our time in. Um, there, you know, we could list um, ten, twenty, twenty growing or ongoing concerns within enterprise imaging. You know, things that we want to solve. You know, you talk about the the relationship of technology and clinical workflow, and we're always, you know, that's a Rubik's cube that we're always, you know, trying to to get to get solved in in one way or another. You've been involved in some very specific efforts over the last couple of years. I know you've been involved with the Focus Group. I know you've been involved with uh, photos, photo documentation. I know you have um, an interest in advancing our adoption of uh, standardized nomenclature. Uh, so from those three, pick one that you that you you uh, feel like is, is maybe is not as well represented in our industry as it should be, or doesn't have the momentum that it should, or is there something that we could be doing better to get to where we need to be just from those three to start with?
1: Oh, okay. So I, I'm torn between nomenclature and pocus
2: because <laughs> what? let's talk about nomenclature because okay, this is, it's it's not the sexiest topic in the world, but boy, yeah. it sure does. Uh, it sure would solve a lot of problems, I think, for us.
1: Absolutely. So first, I'm going to um, tout the work that's been done by members of the Himsim Enterprise Imaging Community, uh, a work group that's known we've. Call it the Body Part Standardization Workgroup, and I think they're, they have a more f- specific name. But what they've really been doing is seeking to adopt, not develop, but adopt an existing anatomic ontology that can be used hopefully all through medicine. And there's a white paper out there that talks about it. Really, anatomy is one of the major unifying features for the way we approach a patient. And it's finite, right, to some degree. So you would want to know if a patient has a wound on their heel, you would want to be able to pull up everything related to that heel wound, whether it's a photograph, whether it's the radiograph, CT, cultures, everything, and bring all of that information together for a clinician. So the first part is we have to identify the standard or the ontology that we wanna use. The outcome of that process is going to be revealed at HIMSS. So I'm so excited about that. I was um, not a part of the working group, but as part of the community leadership have been very tapped into what's going on with that. Then we have to find ways to adopt that both at the EMR level and at the enterprise imaging vendor level and so there are some vendors that are more advanced than others that are finding ways to include this metadata and you might say it's a dicom field right yes it is a dicom field it's not happens to not be a mandatory dicom field and so oftentimes it's left blank that's one of the first processes for nomenclature but the next one is procedure name, study descriptor. It's really the same verbiage that you you have for the order or the EAP name and an orders-based workflow. And that is really the file name. What are you calling this imaging study? I believe we need to have a standard format to do that. And that format should, must include this anatomic ontology that we select and the reason it's so important is you want to have the same anatomy name and a lot of times for photos that's really the biggest piece of metadata you're going to get is what's the label on the photo I don't see that we're going to get all these different fields that we have in DICOM right so for some of these imaging studies our procedure name is going to be the richest source of metadata that we have. We need to standardize that. Then I go to, well, radiology has been around a really long time, right? And we still haven't solved that. But we've tried to solve that and the ONC has tried to help us solve that by choosing BOINC as the standard for interoperability in the United States core data set for interoperability, the USCDI. And so my proposition, and I was fortunate enough to be able to present this at the LOINC meeting this past summer is we've got that for radiology and actually ONC says for all diagnostic imaging, we should adopt that across the board for all imaging. And so that's a work group that we are going to spin up in the community this year is to work on this topic and hopefully produce a white paper at the end. I happen to work with a company that deals with um, image exchange and identifying appropriate comparison examinations is such a challenge because we all use different locally developed nomenclature. It's like we all have our little own language (laughs) and it's hard to speak to one another without having some commonality there?
0: So one of the other things that I, I noticed, you're talking a lot about nomenclature, certainly that's a, a big issue. And I spend a lot of time with my students practicing how to build the crosswalk, standardize the nomenclature. Why do we standardize the nomenclature? Why is this such a big problem in healthcare settings? And you know, it's, it's funny to watch their eyes get really, really big when they realize the scope and complexity of that problem. Um, but another one is, The context within which we're sharing this information. So the workflows and standardizing those to a certain extent. And so your work um, specifically on, you know, photo management, I find that very, very interesting because I know IHE has come out with some standardized workflows for that. And HIMSIM is also working on some standardized workflows for that. But, you know, how are we going about grabbing what would be considered the wild west of all of these photos and images and documents that are coming in and not just standardizing the uh, the nomenclature and the metadata that goes with them, but the workflows that go along with when should these photos be made available? How should they be made available? In what context, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And what's your experience been there?
1: Wow, that I I believe photos <laughs> are a huge gray zone, and originally I thought they were a huge gray zone. Because a lot of organizations were storing them in their document management system, right? They didn't have any other place to put them, so that's where they were putting them. Well, as EMRs have become more sophisticated, EMRs are now offering opportunities to store photos. And so in some places they're in the EMR, and in some places they're actually in the VNA. And I don't know what the right answer is going to be. I could go through the pros and cons. So in the EMR, you generally have limited tools for viewing. You have limited metadata. Most of the EMRs that I am aware of only offer free text labeling. So they offer no, we'll call it forced standardization of nomenclature. Um, You could publish one in your organization, but you still require require humans to adopt it, which is not optimal. Whereas if they go into an enterprise imaging ecosystem, you have much more opportunity to associate metadata. You also have opportunities to do a lot more image manipulation, and I'm calling that maintaining the digital integrity of the data. So I favor putting them in the VNA because I, in today's world, there are many more robust supporting tools in the VNA.
2: And along those lines, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking uh, between EMR, you know, blob or or VNA for pictures uh, and photos, you know, we have uh, and when you get into the, the the photo space, we're dealing with some. Kind of some unique use cases, right? We've got mm-hmm. sexual abuse cases. Yeah. we've got um, child abuse. We've got, you know, we got some. We've got sensitivity, mm-hmm. we've got. We want to. Have you found it's easier to manage those types of user access controls within a VNA or within an EMR?
1: I don't have deep experience in that, so I'll put that out there first. I do know that the EMRs are developing some rules around sensitivity but I think in the VNA you can segment those images completely away and you can put break the glass functionality on them and you have audit trails so I'm more familiar with the tools in the VNA which I think are very robust and I will say that there's actually a, another effort underway in the HIMSS enterprise imaging community to work through hopefully at the end an IHE profile around sensitive and gruesome images. Um, But the first phase right now is just working with DICOM because the big problem is do we have all the right um, technical factors to be able to implement these workflows that we envision? And can we standardize those? So no matter what VNA or PACs you have, it looks in the same place for sensitive, gruesome, and then for management of consent from the patient around those images, uh, which is not as robust as some of the other workflows we have today. And I will say a lot of controversy around things like sexual abuse and child abuse because one of the questions that I have not really been able to fully answer is are how much how much are those photos being acquired for medical care and how much of those photos are being required as forensics and evidence? In which case do they belong in the EMR? So there's a lot of questions around that that we are going to need lots of input on. We're going to need input from the same nurses, probably from the legal system to help us know how to implement these workflows we're envisioning. You know, and then we're going to be putting things from the OR in there, right? So I don't think putting in photos of polyps are, are all an issue because generally we share those with the patients. But what if we put in photos of the um, abdominal wound that shows spread of tumor throughout the abdominal cavity do we want the patient seeing those photos of trauma do do we want the patient seeing those do the patients want to see those so are we going to develop tools for the patients to opt in or opt out to seeing some of these things can we present them with alerts you know do not progress gruesome photos ahead and those tools, are further along their development path in the imaging ecosystems.
0: So, there's a couple of big questions that come out of that um, in my mind that I've definitely run into, and, and certainly, you know, patients' exposure to this information. We, we're we're straddling this. Um, These dual forces, if you will, where patients want more access to their own health data, they want to take control of that information, Mm -hmm. they want to be able to share that information and and all of that. So there, of course, are privacy concerns. And there's clinical concerns that go along with that as well. I've certainly even had family members that say, Oh, well, why can't I get access to my report? You know, the doctor wants to talk to me first, um, and I should be able to have access to it, you know, because I can't see my doctor for another week or that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And and I can get both sides of that argument. I definitely get both sides of that argument, especially considering uh, some of those family members. So, um there's that side of things and then there's also the data retention side of things so now we're collecting all of these photos and you're asking excellent questions are these being retained for clinical purposes are they being retained for legal purposes should we even have these in the EHR the next logical discussion is how long do we even hold on to these images I've had so many organizations come out in and Jeff I know you've been there right there with me let's design our information lifecycle management policies let's figure out when we're going to purge all this because our archives are getting close we're spending gobs of money on storage and then when they sit down to look at what the rules are and and when they might need these images, it can't come to a good decision. And so we just end up storing everything, right? That ends up being the answer. I've not yet actually come across an organization that actively purges um, based on these rules. Um, and so I know I'm kind of going all over the place there, but those are two very interesting topics in my mind, right? How do we reconcile the patient's desire for self-controlled, self-managed information with, you know, you may not be in the best interest of the patient to see these images or to see that report or the information that comes out without sitting down with somebody who can steward you through what those mean. And then, you know, how long do we hold on to this information and and what's the right answer there, Um, both from the clinical perspective, the legal perspective, and the patient's perspective? How long are they going to want to have access to their data?
1: So I think we're going to see a couple things around that. One, I'm I'm hearing about um, or seeing patient-owned, managed health records starting to crop up again. So that's one opportunity. Patient, like, oh, your study's up for, you know, your study or your medical record's up for purging. You know, if you would like, you can download the whole thing and put it up in, you know, wherever you're going to store all your medical data. And I'm not sure that that's not the right answer um, because then we could get into when we won't. Who owns the information in the record and who owns the record is another big question. But then, in terms of retention, and Jeff and I have approached this a couple of times, if we're considering this all part of the electronic health record, which I differentiate the electronic health record from the electronic medical record, I think all information should be managed along the same retention cycle. Now, I know in the past we used to purge films. It was a little different because you you did kind of run out of space. And even then, I don't know that we necessarily purged them as much as we moved them off to some giant warehouse and still retained them. I've had people suggest, well, once the rash resolves, let's purge the rash photos. And my first question is, and how are we going to identify that this is a rash photo? you know, operationally, I don't know how that works. Do we purge the x-rays after the fracture is healed? So I always look for a pre-existing use case that we can just adopt that philosophy. And do we purge medical records after the patient's pneumonia has been treated? No. So why would we treat this information any other differently in terms of purging moving to different tiers of storage whole nother question
2: yeah what are
1: your thoughts on that jeff
2: (laughs) no i i am i'm a huge proponent of i love that philosophy of if a standard a similar standard already exists that can be adopted there's probably a reason a lot of work that went into why that standard became a standard so why recreate the wheel? What can we learn from the standard that already exists? and Can we adopt that? That makes perfect sense to me. And to your point, you know, the the can we uh, versus the how do we is oftentimes the gap that exists between uh, philosophy or uh, and, and compliance to, to a policy. You know, to your point, we've got images, but who's going to be in charge of identifying photos that need to be purged? because a a rash has, you know, gone away and resolved. You mentioned EHR, EMR difference. So there's a new term. I've heard a couple of different ways. I've heard imaging medical record. I've heard imaging uh, IEMR or EMRI. Um, I think everyone's kind of trying to figure out if they're going to be able to, you know, trademark it for themselves or or whatever. (laughs) But but, um, all that to say. I, you you have some very strong uh, opinions and, opinions and thoughts on when we talk about enterprise imaging, it's not just a bolt on to the medical record. It uh, it stands on its own. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that.
1: So I'll throw another one I've heard out there is the pixel record. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so you know I'm adapting the enterprise imaging ecosystem till something emerges. So I'm gonna give you two pieces of data that um i think are really important so number one and this is this is getting to be a little bit of lore but there's a there are some data out there talking about 80 to 90 percent of all imaging data i'm not going to say information or knowledge is going to be in the form of imaging data and genomics and path are going to squash that but so it, it's a huge component of the data you're managing in an organization. And then two, when you look at the specialty that touches the most number of patients, and I forget exactly how it went, they looked across like 1,000 patients and looked at all of the different specialties that that 1,000 patients saw, 70 to 80% of them were touched by radiology. So. I think we forget how much medical care relies on imaging because you throw in cardiology on top of that, you know, you probably get to 99%, right? And then when we start throwing in photos, imaging touches every single patient and ask a surgeon if they would operate without seeing the images. Ask a pulmonologist if they would treat a patient without seeing the images. And the answer is absolutely not. And so we have a lot of text and we have a lot of um, demographic data that's stored in the EMR. And yes, it's the gold standard for the demographic data. And it's a gold standard for diagnoses and problems, But then when you start getting into a lot of the notes and stuff, searching and gathering information as a radiologist going into the chart, that is really, really hard to figure out what's going on. But a lot of times, and it's not just come, I'm a radiologist, I'll go to the imaging record and I could go, oh, I could go back to this x-ray and look at it and see what was going on with that patient back then. And actually, my former CIO, who Was a primary care physician, and he said, Oh, yeah, I could go to the imaging tab and review the imaging tab and have a great sense of what's been going on with this patient. I just think we need to raise awareness of the importance of images in medical decision making. Radiology, and sometimes I mix up radiology and imaging, but radiology in many ways has replaced the physical examination. Pretty important. Yeah.
0: So, Dr. Petersilge, you've definitely covered a lot of big topics today. And, and my hat's off to you, actually, for being able to so thoroughly and completely answer a bunch of those big questions. And um, I know that we could we could definitely go on for another 20 minutes, if not 40, if not multiple days on these these topics. But your insights on these have, are hugely valuable. And we really appreciate the time that you've taken um, with us and, and for our listeners to hear your perspective on some of these big and emerging issues in the field of enterprise image. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me here today. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with both of you.
0: And for our listeners, thank you for listening once again. And we hope to have you with us for our next iteration of Integrated Informatics with Paragon Consulting Partners.